Welcome everybody to today's CIT Tech for Business podcast. We are now three podcasts in and you may have maybe gotten an inkling that we are kind of bouncing all over the place. Our favorite thing here is to talk about all of the tech tangents. So do know that at any point, if you have an idea, something that you want to have these guys talk about, a question you want answered, you can always send those on over to info at CIT-net.com and we're more than happy to tangent right along with you, answer any of those questions week to week as we get them. Today, we are going to sit down with Kyle and Todd and talk about SEC compliance. Kyle, Todd, why don't you guys introduce yourself and get us kicked off? Hi, everybody. I'm Kyle Etter. I'm the president and CEO at CIT. Uh, happy to be with you today. And I'm Todd. I am CIT's chief operations officer. I'm also the CISO at the organization. Uh, in case anybody doesn't know, SEC in this particular instance does not stand for um, the college division. This is so it's it's not uh, Southeast Conference. This is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, for those that are not aware, there was a proposal that came out just a couple of weeks ago that was talking about some new compliance things that are that potentially were going to go on, and really largely they're focused heavily on cybersecurity and the risks that are associated with it. Um, we can touch on briefly who potentially is going to be impacted on this in a minute, but just kind of wanted to give you an idea what that is. So um, we'll share out some links as we get further along in this process. So for those that are listening, um, we'll talk to it the best we can. For those that are watching, the links will be added when we go through this at the end. Um, so just kind of giving a real, real super high level of what's going on is there are recommendations from the SEC that when a cybersecurity incident happens that organizations need to disclose the incident and currently the way it's framed up is it's within four days which um, as soon as they found out there's something material which is pretty soon uh, or pretty early i mean um, they need to disclose their policies their procedures for managing risks and the cyber threats um, they want to make sure that they disclose the board mechanisms for cybersecurity risk oversight and they need to disclose cyber expertise on the board of directors. Um, so I'll start there and then I'm gonna ask Kyle a question is, Kyle, who does this impact? Well, it's gonna impact any of your public traded companies. Um, obviously comes through, so your larger companies, even some smaller equity-based ones that are looking for public funding side of it, it's gonna add you know, significant cost and operation sides onto how you, are protecting your systems so there's uh it's pretty far reaching i mean there's a lot of controls that they're talking about here um and the time frames they're talking about is very short um you know i think that's the part that really jumped out to me is the how quick they want the the notification to come through because these things are complicated um there's a lot to those things and i don't know about you todd but i looked at that i'm like wow that's that's quick turnaround um and the bigger you get, I think the harder that becomes. Um, you know, a smaller organization can be fairly nimble, I think, to have a pretty good idea of the significance and um, where the information's at. But, you know, a large organization to really kind of get a handle on things could be pretty, um, could take, a, take quite a while. Granted, they're looking for, you know, getting their policies out and everything, but, um, and not for all the full information, but still, that's very quick. Um, and that's going to require, a, 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 you know, I, I think a lot of them to look at their existing tool sets and definitely looking at their policies and certainly looking at their controls and really being able to, you know, be able to disclose things very, very quickly, um, which is ultimately what the SEC is asking for here. So 
Yeah, a couple of things I'll add on to that, just just to kind of clarify, th this is not finalized, so it, it is certainly possible it will change, but I, I kind of wanted to throw a little background to kind of give um, the listeners an idea of what that actually means for most organizations. So when we work with our customers, I would say on average, it takes us about two weeks from the time that there's discovery to the time that we're re typically recovered. But that's, as Kyle said, I, I would consider that to be pretty nimble. If you want to contrast that by what potentially is quote unquote the normal is you can use the Okta example that came out in the news just recently is that was discovered at the end of the of 21, I believe. And then it took for the most part, it took the vast majority of three months to to say this is what we think happened. And then it continued to evolve for another two to three weeks. So um, when you're talking four days, you really have very little to no information to work from and go, okay, now I have to turn around and explain this to the world. Wow, that that's not a great thing to, or a great place to be, I would think. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was my thought. I mean, they, they probably may have to revisit that time request stuff or the, you know, how much has to be disclosed within that four days being a much smaller subset and then mandating, you know, different tierings of data side with it. But um you know that that part jumped out of me right away. Um, I, I think the um, requirement for cybersecurity awareness within the board level of these organizations, um, I'm I think that's a very uh, pro thing. I'm very in, much in favor of that. I think um, I think awareness at the board level of companies on cybersecurity, if they're not already there, this is a good thing. They 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 need to have it. I think it's very important for the executive level and that board level operational sides of any business side to have good insight as to the risks that were that are involved around cybersecurity nowadays regardless of public traded or not um, it's just there's it, you just cannot ignore it in 2022 it's a significant risk to the business um, even more so than fire and theft um, from your traditional aspects of it this is something that should be considered and there's significant costs to the business and there's um, also significant approaches that the business needs to take into account of their liabilities when approaching uh, their, their customer engagements because there's so much risk involved there's a you know there's that risk hot potato that you're going to have to work through with your customer sides on cybersecurity incidents and what that looks like so there's just a lot of high level business discussions that needs to be into the fabric of the company in all aspects of it. It's not just a side conversation. I, I agree. I mean, to me, it was quite frankly, I don't want to say it was a long time coming, but quite frankly, it was a long time coming. It really was. Uh, I'd mentioned this to Kyle a couple days ago, too, is the last time the SEC did something like this, it was back when they did Sarbanes-Oxley as kind of a requirement. Um, and I believe that was 2002 or something along those lines. And um, by comparison, that was very transformational for organizations, boards, et cetera. And yes, we love the cat. Uh, if you're not cat people, very sorry. <laughs> um, oh, sorry for those that are just listening. There's a cat on screen. Um, as I was saying, this is a uh, this is transformational. And I think to Kyle's point is you're going to see things change dramatically. Back when Sarbanes Oxley came out, it's kind of hard to think about it at this point, but there was a dramatic shift where all of a sudden organizations had to have that level of financial acumen added to the board. And now it just seems like a given, right? You would absolutely include that. Well, ultimately, as a good outcome of this, as I think you're going to see that security becomes a board level concern too, which it always should have been. It's gotten so bad over the last five years that it doesn't really surprise me. 
the one other thing that I would say is kind of a, a negative at the moment is there really aren't a lot of quality IT security individuals out there. So if you look at the sheer number of organizations this will impact, um, that there just may not be a ton of people that you can lean on and go, hey, I want you to join my board. So a lot of organizations may need to reach outside and look for some additional help for their to, to supplement their board. Um, on the bright side, the way that this is written is it currently is kind of anybody that has any kind of security background. So it could be a security analyst or a CISO or whatever the case may be. So you do get to tap into basically any cybersecurity experts, expertise, which is great. But like I said, I still think it's going to be a bit of a challenge for a lot of organizations out there. Yeah, I think having those individuals that, um, you know, have the security background and understand the potential risks and and having uh, are able to bring that alongside the business aspects and operations of the business side of it to understand, you know, beyond the technicalities of it um, and really connect those two together and say, you know, these risks could affect our business because of this, you know, because of the way we hold customer data. This is where customer, you know, they to be able to correlate that, to be able to explain it to their core uh, board members in a business way is, is going to be the, the key there. Um, because you can't deal in technical terms with, with all members of the board. That's not their, their, their main acclimate. You know, but it, if you were to um, put those into into the business operational terms and risks, because um, it's really to me, it always comes back to the risk, um, and you know, put it into those terms and how you're mitigating those risks with these um, new approaches to reduce it. Because that's that's what it, this game's going to be about is risk mitigation. Um, I think it's been proven over and over again that no organization is immune. No matter how good um, their stand side with it, if they are targeted, there is a significant risk to the organization. But um, there are many great practices to be done that will dramatically reduce your risk footprint. And that's, you know, I know for our approach to our customer sides of it, um, Todd speak very, very in depth on this side of it, but that's what it's about. I <laughs> mean, putting in a framework and reducing a, a lot of the risk. I mean, you're, if you're a gambling person, your percentages drop way, way down, and that's what um, that's usually what what it's about today. I kind of ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to pose a question. So, if I'm an organization that this is going to be affecting me later down the road, right now that this communication has gone out, what do I do in order to be proactive? So, once this thing is finalized, then I feel comfortable that I have X, Y, and Z in place. So. Can you give me a little bit of background of like if there's an organization, where do they start from this point? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll start and Kyle can fill in the blanks. But I, one of the, the big takeaways that I had from the article just in general is that compliance is coming, right? If anybody's listened to me talk over the last year and a half, I've been kind of saying you can see it starting to cre creep up, whether that was starting with CMMC that started to impact the, the manufacturers or the executive order that came out that anybody working with the, the government needs to start to become compliant with things. You can see it's continuing to tick up. And again, it's ticking up now for anybody that's in that's governed by the SEC. So um, to me, that's kind of the main takeaway. That being said, there are a lot of core functionalities and frameworks, and they're all designed to reduce risk to, to uh, Kyle's point. So, you know, looking at risk, you're looking at a variety of different things, whether that's 
stuff that comes out generally. So if you had a cyber attack, you're looking at financial risks. You're looking at potentially if you're a co if you're a share, um, an organization that is traded, you're going to have some equity problems and concerns. Um, and then you know if we get even get into this, some of the downstrokes are or the downsides could be potentially any litigation that comes from it. But all that being said is if you looked at common frameworks that are out there and you can use NISC or COVID or a variety of others, they're all designed to start to lower that risk and there's core places that you should be focusing on. This kind of gives you a little bit of a framework too, right? You should put in somebody that's got some security wherewithal and start looking at how do you get that advice. If you're going to be under a regulation, obviously you're going to look at trying to add that individual to the board. But if you're not, and you can see this coming at some point down the road, which I would say it likely will, you'd start to work with those organizations that do have the wherewithal, and then they can help you build the framework. Where do you start? Is it cybersecurity training? Is it controls or is it security tools that you can put in place that help you start to reduce, reduce the risks that are associated with various different types of attacks? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, would, I would agree with all that. I think you take, if if you are publicly traded and you're um, starting to prepare for the likelihood that this does become, um, come into law side with it, that that you'd start taking some steps now that if your board has not incorporated this and in, do it now. I mean, I, I think starting to take those steps to create the board seat that brings in that that cybersecurity individual into, at the board level is, is a good move regardless of the regulatory requirement. Um, you know, I know there's uh, many large companies in the United States that already have taken those step sides with it, you know, and I think, you know, if they haven't, they should be doing it already. If you're not publicly traded, I think you should consider having um, somebody with cybersecurity awareness on your personal private company board um, to have those insights in there if they haven't done that already. Um, that individual himself then I, I think should align themselves with uh, security framework practice. As Todd mentioned, some of those, I think you adapt uh, a framework and that starts to become part of the um, part of part of the uh, discussion points for the board. And I start to make them aware of what that framework is and what the risks are, and then have those discussions on how you're um, remediating those risks. Because that's, um, if that becomes part of the normal business practice stuff on it, they're moving in the right direction on how to approach this side with it. That's, that, that's a big, uh, big takeaway for them to do right now. That's why I like so much about this topic, because whether, you know, this topic obviously is, is targeted at a public traded company, but I, I think the results for even a private one to a, 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 to adopt what they're talking about here is strongly recommended. And as Todd alluded to, we we firmly believe two other regulatory requirements are coming down the the pipe, even for private organizations through affiliations and whatnot. You're going to be more than likely associated with some kind of regulatory requirement in the near future. Just to kind of expand on that, so so if you look at how the world has kind of been transforming, is you know, if you did business with the Department of Defense, you kind of had some pieces in place already, and you already know your regulations with DFARS and a variety of other things. But then they started to say, well, if I'm doing business with any other partner, third party, so you're working with, uh, just as an example, you're working with an organization like CIT, you're going to be looking to that partner and saying, hey, what do you do? And that's going to be true of any of these publicly traded organizations as they're going to go, okay, well, do I work with this other organization downstream a little bit? Any third party is going to naturally get pulled into that and saying, okay, you now need to be compliant. On a plus side, as you start to get in front of this, 
that actually becomes a differentiator for you. You can go, hey, there's quick ROI because I can win business that my competition can't because I put my ducks in a row. So, I mean, there's some there's some boons for companies out there, too. Um, so I, I had to throw that in because it's tech for business, right? So there is there is good reasons to do this for your organizations is it does set you apart. It does get you in front of it. It gets you going in the right direction. And it's good basic hygiene in addition to. Yeah. Yeah, there's a definite win-win component to it to allow those, you know, take those necessary steps now or start moving in those directions because it's going to pay dividends being an early, um, early adopter. Um, and those businesses that already done it, you know, commend you for already taking those step sides with it and uh, continue to work through it. But um, you know, as we approach many organizations, we find that their their hygiene is not at that level where they need to be. Um, and it's usually just they don't know what they don't know. Um, and that's knowledge is definitely power in this subject. So getting that information again at the board level where the leadership can understand the risks so they can make the necessary investments into how do they improve it. You know, I don't I don't know what you've seen, Todd. I mean, usually, you know, what um, what has come from organizations who don't do the preemptive uh, approach side with it, it's usually unfortunately after an incident occurs, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the spend is done. And that's that's what we definitely want to avoid. And we hope, you know, this type of discussion, you know, leads to early steps to, you know, avoid that being being the reason for change in the organizational structure side with it, because that's a, it's a painful process. We witness it. It's not pretty. Um, you know, and the, the the damages to the business just from obviously the cost and downtime, but then just the long term, you know, damage to the reputation of the business side of that and the possibilities for litigation, as as, as Todd talked about. You know, those are those are those are talk points we don't want to do. You know, and I think you know you can take some steps now if the business learns um, to to make some early investments and priorities around it. It's completely avoidable in our mind um, to avoid that. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I'll, I'll use some statistics. So one of the latest statistics I saw were 48% um, of all attacks are on small and mid-sized businesses, which is where we typically focus. Um, if that's true, and then the statistic that followed up with it, only about 14% of those organizations were prepared to deal with the attack in any shape, manner, or form. So that's everything from tools to being able to recover. That's a really small number. If you look at the whole gist of everything, that's a pretty darn small number. So to Kyle's point of what does it look like if you're not prepared the likelihood of something happening and it being pretty devastating is is high and so we got into the risk conversation of whose hot potato is that when we talk about the third parties and all that type of stuff if you are working with those businesses and they're going well gee i'll use the octa example is octa used a third party to help do some of their support and that's where their particular incident started well octa's quick to go hot potatoes yours good luck you're the ones where it all started and so that's the kind of stuff we want to avoid, right? So starting to prepare for it, finding the, the help that you need is definitely a good place to go. And as Kyle mentioned, there's all kinds of things we can do to kind of get you going on that platform. It's just kind of understanding where you are today. And like it or not, most organizations have started on this process one way or another. I would say a vast majority of organizations already have cybersecurity insurance as an example. If you've got it, you've already decided that there was some risk out there and you want to avoid it at all costs. So you went and got your insurance. So I, you're already on the path. It's it's a good thing. You should be doing those kinds of things. 
one of the natural transitions you're starting to see is as that starts to happen, those insurance companies are starting to ask a lot of the things that you're going to see from a compliance organization or a regulator saying, do you do MFA? Do you do EDR? You name it. They're basically building out that foundation or that base layer of how do I start? How do I start to put security around what I do day in and day out? And how do I reduce that risk? Because that's what an insurance company is doing, right? Reduce their risk. They don't want to pay it. No chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, the insurance companies want to reduce their risk exposure. That's what they do. Um, and they price it into the policies. So those potential clients that they're looking at that are viewed as high risk, they're either going to say, we can't afford that risk, hence we can't give you insurance, uh, which is going to put the business in a very bad position, um, given the cost of it or they're gonna want to have proof that they have taken steps to reduce their risk, to make them an insurable entity. No different than your health insurance saying, do you exercise, do you eat right? Otherwise I can't afford to give you that life policy because there's too high risk, you're gonna die. <laughs> you know, that's the same idea here. Um, and, and it's definitely become in the last few years, just so much more prevalent because they've had to pay out a lot more. Um, I think it's interesting and what we've seen happen is that there's, you know, the 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 threat actors are aware of these policies as well. And they're, you know, when when you're seeing these ransoms, I mean they're they're targeting knowing that there's a high percent uh, likelihood of payout of these policies. So they've been abusing that as well now to the point that I think, you know, what they're asking for is ransom is what they believe the insurance coverage is at, not what they believe the company has in cash on hand. You know, so you know they're even betting on that, um, which is which it makes it even scarier. Uh, which then means the insurance companies are going to put more criteria around it because they don't want to be put into that situational side of it. So you can you can see where this is going, um, and it, I, I think it's it's definitely trending to where you know the ease of of being able to get cybersecurity insurance is no longer going to be as easy as it used to be. Um, just because of that trend that we've seen, I, you know, the next few years, I'm, you know, I, I would say we fully believe it's going to become much more difficult to get the cybersecurity insurance. And I, I think the unfortunate side effect that it's had is, yeah, we've always praised customers for having the wherewithal to go get it because it, we, we view it's important to have it. Um, they've used it as a as as the checkbox that we got it ourselves covered. Um, and then they didn't take any other necessary steps to reduce their risk. They said, well, I got insurance, I'm fine. Um, you know, and that's just unfortunately is not going to be good enough. You know, you're going to have to take steps to actually reduce your risk to reduce the likelihood that you would ever need to use that policy um, is, is really what this is going to be about. No longer can you say we bought the insurance, I don't need to do anything else. Um, that's that's definitely where this is going. I mean, I agree. You look at it, and I'll actually throw this in, and I, I feel like I may have said this in a, in a podcast previously, and, and if I didn't, uh, I will now. Uh, but as you're seeing how the cyber insurance is coming along is they've transformed dramatically. And I would say within the last 12 months, if I looked at the beginning of 21, it was pretty benign. You were kind of going, yeah, I need insurance. And I'd go, okay, how much do you want? Here's the bill. And it was it wasn't quite that simple, but it was pretty close. By the end of the year, uh, I was being pulled into customer sites going, okay, let's let's answer the questionnaire by the underwriter. And it was nearly a full-blown 
audit from a third party coming in going, okay, let's look at your network diagram. You know, network diagram, do I need one? Yes, you do. <laughs> All of a sudden, this became a big thing at the end of the year. And so it's just getting more and more complicated. Um, some of the things that I guess kind of just circling back to, to this particular compliance that's coming, I wanted to kind of hit a couple of things just briefly. So if you are under the regulations and you're trying to get informed on it, what does that look like? Some of the things that I know are coming are, number one, we talked about it, you're going to have a lot more reporting requirements. Currently, that requirement is really, really fast reporting. Um, so you need to have a good plan in place as to what does an instant response look like. You'll, you'll absolutely need it. Um, you will need some, some uh, reporting capabilities. As we mentioned earlier, I think you are going to be looking at some exposure. There is risk associated with communicating early and often. Um, there, are, there absolutely is going to be some unintended consequences. What those are, I, I don't know. It's still pretty early. I think they're still looking for that kind of feedback coming back. Um, there are some specific things where there there is no current bird or there is no delay in that reporting. There's no safe harbor. You need to do it as fast as you possibly can. Um, you absolutely are going to see that there are going to be very difficulties filling those board positions. As I said, they made it super broad so you can bring in anybody with experience, but it's still going to be difficult. Not everybody's going to be comfortable joining a board. You may be looking outside your organization, et cetera. So those things are coming. Um, and then one last little takeaway is for organizations, and, and we see I see this a lot in banking, um, and Kyle can expand on this a little bit too as we're wrapping up here, is a lot of times organizations, when they do have that compliance in place, they tend to lean on compliance and go, compliance, you deal with this, you figure it out. This requirement is striking it right up to the board as high as you can possibly go and go, you now need to deal with it. You're ultimately responsible, which is what you've been seeing from a lot of organizations anyway. The frameworks always say that that's where the ultimate responsibility comes from. But this is nailing that that down completely going. This is where it's at. Yep, yep, that's correct. It's putting it up at the highest level of the organization side with it, which honestly is where I think it needs to be because it is. Uh, this is, uh, you know, there's a business survival side to this aspect of what this threat to the businesses are. Um, and I think for the protection in this case, obviously protection of the shareholders, that's what the SEC is saying. Um, you owe it to the investors in this organization um, to make sure that you are protecting their investment. And this is significant risk. Um, and the boards, that's the board's responsibility for the shareholders is to protect their investment. Any other parting thoughts before we wrap up the, the show today? I, I I don't have any. I think this is a great topic, though. Um, again, always, cybersecurity is always so easy to talk about just because there's so many aspects of it. I know we talked about a ton of different areas that, you know, definitely tie into this particular one. But um, again, I think it's uh, you could take this information and apply it to a private organization very easily and still still adopt a lot of what they're saying and um you know that's that's really ultimately what what cit is about here that's where we try to make you know the technology work for the business side of it is 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 bringing in that framework helping with that information um you know where we're happy to discuss with with our with our customers at the board level you know these level of issues sides of there and, and advocate for for change in those organizations ultimately because it's uh you know, we we want our we don't want our customers to deal with the bad situation, um, and I I don't I don't think anybody 
anybody wishes that on any organization at this point. But, um, you know, so taking these next steps and anything you can do, we're happy to have those discussions. My parting thought is is reiterating what, what Kelsey said at the beginning is, Kyle and I, we love talking. If, if you've got questions about this, so you got cybersecurity, the compliance, you name it, we're happy to go through it with you. So if it's something that you've got interested in or there's other items that are similar that you've got a passion about, by all means, let us know and, and we're happy to, to get on and chat with you a bit. Yeah, absolutely. No, we love it. And thank you, Todd, for kind of taking that and being like, yep, sure, talk to us 100%. Yes, we are always here and kind of just like Kyle said, right? And we're here in Minnesota, Western Wisconsin. But if you're outside of that and you happen to be watching the podcast, because that would be our dearest hope is that we're helping anybody across all businesses. We are still here to help you find those resources, point you to the right people, get you those people, because we know it can be one of those things where you got a lot on your plate every single day. And we're just here to help and help educate you and help you find all of those. But if you want to connect with us directly, that's what Tara and I are on here for. For We're the marketing people that are sitting here and telling you, yes, email us, go to the website. And you can always find us, you guys know it, info at cit-net.com or head out to our website. It's cit-net.com, same as the end of our email. We are here to answer any and all questions, get you connected with Kyle, Todd. I'm sure they'd love to sit down and have coffee with you guys. All of the good things will work for food, but we are here every single week. So send us your thoughts, your questions, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week.